Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I saw our next guest last week. It was great bumping into him. He was in town. He went out to Jasper. Somehow he got a deal at the JPL. And remarkably, all these years hosting the show, I've even got like the mayor of Jasper, who's like a buddy of mine, Doug. And I can't get hooked up at the J. I don't even get a break when we go out there for Father's Day. I don't know how that happens. I guess i got to be a bigger hitter. We're going to go off to the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline for Horse Racing Alberta. Find schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the races. We welcome back to the show one of the most plugged-in men in the business, but he'd never tell you that, Daily Face-Offs, Frank Saravalli. Frank, how you doing? I'm good, Bob. You know what? Um... We're going to do it bigger next year in Jasper for the Pond Hockey Tournament, and I'm providing you an open invitation to join my team next year. I'm going to put in my own team, not the Oilers Nation team, Okay. and you've got an invite to come hang with us at the JPL. I, I'm going to have to lose some weight because I've only been on the ice once in about Have both. you seen me? Uh, yes, I, I did. I mean, like, yes, seriously, yes. did you see the yeah. photos? Did you I, see, did the, I see the photo? I saw you there. on Thursday night, Frank. Just... It was embarrassing. I'm, I honestly like I came home. I was riding, but I had two flights yesterday to get home, and all I can think about is just what a fat pos I am. <laughs> oh man, just your a beauty. Slob. You're, you know what? You're, you're, there's just more of you to love, Frank. That's that's what's going on there. I mean, but self-deprecation will get you. You know, it, it will get you somewhere. Uh, how about did you enjoy your? And I know you you did all your. It, it was a good time here in Edmonton, wasn't it? Honestly, I love being in Edmonton, and I'm not just saying that to pander to you or the show or the audience. Like, I truly feel at home. Um, I'm from Philly. I always have considered Edmonton the. Philly of the North, blue collar city, hardworking people, no frills. Everyone kind of keeps, they're like, oh, what? oh, it's so tough going to Edmonton. Like, what's so tough about it? It's, I love, I just wish it wasn't so far. Uh, well, you like Edmonton more than I like Philly. I, I find Philly to be, no. yeah, I mean, other, no, I did go to a fine, there was a guy that took us to a fine, took Cam Moon and myself and a couple others from the Oder's Entourage to a fine uh, Italian uh, steakhouse. Uh, what was the name of that place again last year that we went to? Saloon. Saloon. Now, was there any business that was maybe done there back in the late 60s, early 60s? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty connected spot. So. Is it? Okay. You well, got to be careful talking about that. Well, it was, it was, a, great, it was a great place. Uh, Frank, we're coming there next week, FYI. Uh, what do you hey, do? I'll be here. What are you doing Wednesday night? All right, that's I'll be get, around. Let's get to it. So you're traveling back. I think you had about. A, uh, I was watching a little bit of your podcast earlier today with Mike McKenna and uh, if I'm <laughs> and Thomas Trans, and I think you ended up having like what an extra twelve hours worth of travel yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, thanks to United. It was a really fun day yesterday. There you go. I had, I had plenty of time to think about the Bo Horvat trade that's, that's in where, the Denver airport. Okay. So I've given my take. Let's get your thoughts out there for the listeners that maybe didn't watch your podcast today, Frank. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I've heard your take, and I, I was um, – I, I certainly see it from the Islanders' perspective. I just feel like, you know, we always look at trades and, and try and find a way – in which they both both teams arrive at it, you know, thinking, hey, this is going to be a win-win for both. And it's funny because I could see this trade being a lose-lose for both. 
And it really depends, uh, you know, take, <laughs> wow. I guess, take it from me being, uh, you know, from Philly, the Negadelphia approach. But in this case, depends on who you trust and, and whose vision that you trust in terms of making scouting decisions. And, and I think you have to give the benefit of the doubt to Patrick Alvin because he's made his bones in the scouting world. And clearly, uh, Atu Ratu is a big part of, of this trade. But depending on who you talk to, they a lot of talent evaluators in the league view both Beauvillier and Ratu as as their ceiling being third line players. And so, if you're viewing it from a Canucks perspective and that prism, you've got potentially a first round pick that's top twelve lottery protected, and which means you're probably still going to get a pretty good first round pick this year provided that the Islanders either make the playoffs or fall just short in a strong draft year yep. and two third-line players. Let me ask From you the, the Islanders' yep. perspective, and I understand your argument that they've got the goaltender, I, just, I think we've seen a couple seasons now of the Islanders being a very average team, and I understand why they'd want to add to it, but to essentially mortgage the future – um, and maybe I get it if you're 80-year-old Lou Lamorello, you're not really caring much about five years from now. But as the steward of the franchise, you've now hmm. taken in a roster that you doubled down on previously and now tripled down. So this is a, it's a fascinating trade. And I think my, the biggest question I'm left with is why now? Why okay. yesterday, 32 days away from the deadline, what made the Canucks want to pull the trigger then? All right, and so that's, I think, why now we all understand the Islanders why now. If they think they can make a run here, and I do, th- I think the Pelic absence to that team was massive. That guy's a really good shutdown defenseman. They're a different team when he plays. They have him back. You mentioned the goaltending. They've got, they've, they've got an excellent number one goaltender. Like, I think we can agree on that. Frank, if I'm not mistaken, in their previous 12 games before the break, they scored one third-period goal. They needed somebody to come in and give them some juice. And now take a look at their center position. Barzell, who had one assist in a 10-game run before he got an overtime winner. They now have Barzell at center, Horvat at center, and arguably one of the best third-line centers in the NHL in John Gabriel Paggio. Like, they're pretty good down. I mean, even if you can even throw in the Sezikis on that line with Martin and Clutterbuck, which has got a real identity. They can put those guys back together. I... But didn't they need a winger? They can well. I mean, where's Brock Nelson? Was, wasn't shouldn't their top objective have been to get a winger that's going to put all the pucks that Barzell puts on your tape and put them in the net? You know, they've got uh, they've got Nelson, right? They've got Anders Lee, uh, Wallstrom. Who am I missing on that team right now that can contribute some offense on the wing? I mean, they've got Paul. Mary. I don't really. I wonder if Paul Mary ends up being the guy who ultimately. Blue moves along or puts in an early retirement. He's been known to do that. Uh, I, I, I just, uh, I kind of get it from New York's perspective. And, and I'll throw something else at you here. You said it the last two years. What happened last year at the start of the year for the Islanders? Two things happened that knocked that team off course. Their new arena not being finished on time and that 14-game road trip, I think it was, that caused Lou Lamorello to go outside and take a long walk when he received the schedule for the first time. Right. 
And two, COVID. Um, COVID. They got hammered with. They were a yeah, team like Edmonton. Like there were teams like Calgary didn't get it. Calgary got it all at once, got shut down, and it didn't sit there and pick off three or four guys at a time. They had an unbelievable amount of man game, a uh, few man games. Like I think Calgary had under something like 130 or 40 man games lost all year. The Islanders were never completely healthy and fell too far behind it. I think this is, he's looking at it going, this is, my team's healthy. I think we can, we got good goaltending. We've got our, basically our number one or number two. To, I mean, you could say Dobson's their number one D-man, and that's, that's he's pretty good offensively, but Pellick's the guy that can defend. And now they're sitting there, and they've added a score to a team that couldn't score. I get the trade from the Islanders' perspective. You nailed it. Frank, you nailed it. So, why you, now? By the way, for, you asked why now, why now for Vancouver? Was, why now? You for, asked what the record was without Pellick. It was 7, 10, and 5. So there you go. Seven, ten, and five. And what are they overall? They are 25, 22, and five. So do they make the playoffs? So they're 18, 12. They're 18 and 12 with Pelic in the lineup. That's a 600 winning percentage. And now they've added Horvat. If I've done my math correctly. It's I quick. believe you are correct. So. Frank, I get it. I get it from the Islanders' perspective. I don't get it. Why didn't Vancouver wait longer? Well, I think that's the thing we're left with today. And I think one one reason why is I think they wanted a clean break. Coming back from the bye week and All-Star, you really turn down the temperature and the noise that's been surrounding your team all season long from – off ice with Francesco Aquilini and, and Rachel Dory to on ice, Bo Horvat, what's going to happen, Bruce Boudreaux on the bench, you get a new coach finally, and now you're in a spot where you can kind of just focus on finding what the right mix is for your group moving forward, and now you're able to focus on moving out Luke Shen, Brock Besser, maybe Connor Garland, and finally get some cap flexibility. That's the other part of this trade that I don't necessarily understand from Vancouver's perspective is in the last week, they've added $10 million in wingers to their cap for next year. Yeah. Um, so Barzell, just ba- circling back to the Islanders, Barzell, Horvat, Pajot, Sasekas down the middle, Lee, Nelson, uh, Bailey, Palmieri, and then Wallstrom, when he gets is is Wallstrom out right now? He's still injured, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Wallstrom will eventually come back. He's dirt cheap, by the way. He's still on an ELC. They're a little light on the wings. I mean, they've so. And don't forget, they're they're a team that deploys a pretty definitive fourth line. I don't know where you'd put Paul Mary. I think he at this stage in his career is a third line. You could make an argument they needed a winger more. I get what they did. I have. I just for me with Vancouver, I'm completely perplexed. Some of our listeners, Frank, want to know on the Ashley Fine Floors text line: Is there a possibility, if this doesn't work out, that Horvat would get flipped again? Much like uh, Thomas Vanek, uh, different regime. But mm-hmm. Thomas Vanek was acquired uh, by the Islanders from Buffalo, and then they ended up flipping him at the deadline to the Canadians for a prospect in a second rounder. Your thoughts? Uh, I would say very unlikely. Uh, people that I spoke to with direct knowledge of Lou Lamarillo's thinking was that he wasn't pulling the trigger on this trade unless he knew that or had a, a very good likelihood that Bo Horvat would be re-signing. Um, I believe the Canucks did not allow Horvat's camp to negotiate with the Islanders before the trade was executed. So I think 
my sense is they're probably just playing nice right now, um, not announcing the extension, which Lou Lamorello is also pretty want to do uh, when you go back in previous summers until he feels the time is right. But I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that it's coming. Um, this is, you know, it's right out of the Lou Lamorello playbook. Play nice because you don't want any tampering issues, but this contract is getting done. All right, and eight times eight makes sense for you? Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood, eight times eight, uh, maybe plus or minus on either side on the AAV, maybe a, a hair higher, maybe a shade lower. Okay, and here's where we mentioned, don't forget, Beauvillier went the other way. Uh, the Canucks ate some of the money on the uh, Horvan end from their end to sort of offset the money on Beauvillier to make it even between the two teams. Put it this way, Horvat's on the books at 4.125. That's the same amount that Beauvillier was making uh, before he got moved. And so they move out Beauvillier, and coming off of the books is Varlamov, who's $5 million. There's $9 million right there, and they've replaced him with Beauvillier. Yeah, they have $67 million committed to next year's cap, so So, plenty of room to re-sign Horvat if they want to. The, The question is... They've got so many guys with term if they don't make it this year. Right. How do you reimagine and reshape this roster with an aging team that has a lot of term committed? Yeah, and I just, I mean, we also know the Lula Amarillo playbook. And Joffrey Lupel. Joffrey Lupel thought he could still play for a couple more years. The Leafs informed him under Lou that he wasn't going to be playing for another couple of years. And the same thing happened with Robodaw as well. I think the Robodaw one actually happened before Lou was in Toronto, but definitely Lupel happened while he was uh, uh, the you know overseeing the Maple Leafs organization at that time. Chicago Blackhawks were in town. Um, what is Kyle Davidson thinking right now with? Uh, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, we're going to ask you this every week. Uh, Max Domi, who's got very subtly good numbers, and even a guy like uh, perhaps Lafferty or McCabe, your thoughts on those five players? Yeah, you didn't bring up former Edmonton Oiler Andreas Athanas. Hard pass. Hard pass on that. Yeah, not for Edmonton's sake, but I actually think with his speed and he's he's had a pretty decent year um, that he's also going to be a guy that's on the move. Um, and really one of the true disappointments, I don't think anyone could have predicted COVID and what would come, but the two second round picks traded for him. It's a shame that didn't really have a chance to work out. What did it last 13 games? Yeah. Um, really tough one, but what is Kyle Davidson thinking right now? He's sitting back. Um, there's no need to really engage in any sort of conversation right now with Kane and Taves. There's a time and a place for that. I still think we're a couple weeks away, likely mid-February, when that conversation is going to happen. And it's everything's up to Kane and Taves. We know that. But from a Blackhawks perspective, as they mapped out their rebuild over a five- or seven-year span, they're not banking on getting any return for those players because they knew that they had the, the contracts with the full no-move, no-trade. So anything they get in return is likely going to be a bonus for them. That's how they're approaching it. And they want to maximize the return that they can get on the other pieces that they have in their lineup, including McCabe, including Lafferty. Um, Both of those guys we've talked a lot about, but the Blackhawks are comfortable. This is the truth. They're comfortable keeping both of those players. You, You still need to ice a roster these next few years, and they really like Lafferty's speed, and they love the leadership perspective and compete 
that McCabe brings. So to get one of those guys out of there, you're going to need to make it worth their while. They're not just going to say, oh, hey, yeah, we'll take a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick for some of these guys. Yeah, no, it's uh... – uh, who gets moved up? You guys, the daily face-off, do what? Every Friday you do your, your updated trade uh, trade list? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Friday it's going to be Timo Meyer in the number one spot. Um, the interest has been significant, and I believe the team to watch, and I've been saying this for weeks, is the New York Rangers. I think... Oh, that's interesting. Everyone's been focused on Kane and the Rangers, yep. and I, it's obviously a possibility. I think there's mutual intrigue, I guess you could call it, from the Kane camp of what it would be like to go to New York and, and also sign and stay there. But stylistically, as good of a fit as Kane is, Meyer might be better. He adds some real heft to that lineup, and at his age, seven years younger than Kane for maybe – the same acquisition cost, given that he has that looming qualifying offer, it might make way more sense to use those assets on Meyer and try and re-sign him to a long-term deal instead of Kane. So that's the player that the Rangers are focused on. And and really, you know, you think about the New Jersey Devils and, yes. and putting Meyer with Nico Heischer. There's lots of potential fits, but that's that's the team I'd watch out for. Well, and I mean, the Devils are sitting there with Alexander Holtz, right? Pretty good prospect. And they, I mean, they did a good job reconfiguring the right side of their defense. And that's been yeah. part of their story. I think the one claim, and Severson, by the way, is a pending UFA. Uh, as a, He's basically, I don't know, would it be fair to say he's playing third-pairing minutes? I mean, they got Dougie Hamilton. Uh, they got... John Marino, who's, of course, the, the former Oilers draft choice. I, I'm going to be intrigued to see what New Jersey does here because I think there's... Severson is still playing north of 20 minutes a night. Yeah, so, so they got three pretty good right-shot defensemen there. Uh, Ryan Graves is also a UFA lefty, and they love Siegenthaler, who they got extended at a relatively fair rate for what he does. He's a pretty effective... Uh, I hadn't thought of this, but you just mentioned him, and Graves, I think, would be a really interesting stylistic fit for the Oilers. Yeah, I think he's better than uh, Miko Mikola. Nico Mikola, you know, uh, that's St. Louis. What's going to happen there? Five straight losses for the Blues again. Would they think outside the Everybody right now is looking at, you know, Ryan O'Reilly and potentially Tarasenko and, and maybe Barbashev. We've talked a little about Noel Achari. Um, what about, is there any chance they'd move Pareko? He's having a tough year. First year of an eight-year deal, six and a half. I'd be surprised. Um, I think they're thinking they have a long enough track record with him that he'll, you know, level out and be fine. It has been a tough year. It's been a tough year for a lot of guys. And I think if you're looking at, at Pareko and the term, like the term is really what would scare me. Yeah. You mentioned the first year of the eight year deal. Like it, it goes till age 36. And for a bigger guy, that is you know, you wonder about the slowdown and how quickly that age curve catches up to you. I don't have any concern right in the here and now, but five years from now, it might not be a very pretty picture. Um, and the people that watch the Blues super closely would say, Pareko's game has really fallen off since they won their Stanley Cup, that he just hasn't quite been the same since then. Will Doug Armstrong think outside the box? I can only tell you this, he's getting antsy. And it's not just the five straight losses. He's ready to, to mingle. He's ready to make a move. 
if there is going to be another trade before the trade uh, before the All Star break, I would say that this, there's a large probability or possibility that the St. Louis Blues are the team making. Well, he, is it fair to say he might be the GM that makes the most calls out there? Um, Brad Tree Living makes a lot. Yeah. Calgary is adding I would say a f- he's the guy that talks to everyone. Uh, he's the glue guy in the GM chat. Okay. Uh, is Are they adding – they're adding a winger? Is that fair? And possibly a D-man? A scoring winger with speed is their focus. And they're slated to get an answer on Oliver Shillington very soon. I was told the end of January. Today is the 31st. I don't think it's imminent as in today or tomorrow, but – I was told as I checked in on that file yesterday that each passing day that Shillington is not on a plane to Calgary from Sweden, that it's a further decreased chance that he's coming. And at two and a half million bucks, this is one thing that people really haven't paid close attention to this year. He's been on their cap the entire year as he's been in the NHL's player assistance program. They already have $4 million in projected space. That would be six and a half potentially if they're not using it for Shillington. So increased flexibility so, sorry, for Calgary. How does our, so how does this work out? He, If he doesn't come back, he stays on LTIR for the year? No, I, I think there's a designation that they can give him that would essentially take him off of their cap. Okay, and that's how he gets um, to six and a half. Would basic, he would go from injured reserve to non-roster. Yeah. Um, the Edmonton Oilers, final word. Big deal, small deal, and do they have to get something done by February the 12th when Yamamoto comes off of LTIR? Well, unless there's another injury that pops up, the answer to that is yes, and the guy that would be on the move is Pugliarvi. Um, No shock or surprise there. They fielded calls and interest on Pugliarvi right before Yamamoto went down, and I think we're actually pretty close to pulling the trigger. Yamamoto allowed them to punt that ball further down the field. So the answer is yes. I would say not. I'm not hedging here at all. The true answer is on a big move or little move, too early to say, that the Oilers themselves don't know, and there's a lot that could happen over the next 31 days. All right, Frank, awesome stuff. Love having you on the show every Tuesday. And... Uh... I will be joining you Tuesday. Where are we? We're in Detroit, and then probably see you Wednesday in Philly. So looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us. Sounds good, Bob. See ya. See ya. That is Daily Faceoffs. Frank Cervelli for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. Find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the horse at the uh, races. Now, here's where we want to mention to you. We're heading back to sunny California in April with New West Travel to Los Angeles and Anaheim to watch the Oilers play the Kings and the Ducks. This new West travel package includes airfare, four nights at the Marriott LA, lower bowl game tickets for both games, welcome reception with your Australian special guests for the California Hockey Tour. Reach out to newwesttravel.com. It is 12.57 in Edmonton. We are going to open up the River Curry Resort Casino Hotline, 780-496-0063. You can chime in on your thoughts on the River Curry Resort Casino Hotline on the uh, blockbuster yesterday involving Bo Horvat on what you think the Edmonton Oilers need to do and whether or not you're buying the Oilers' most recent run at 7-0-1. You can also text us on the Ashley Fine Flores text line. So we'll go fully uh, engaged and interactive coming up in the next half-hour slot. Coming up, 
This is a uh, it's an interesting little development here. I was uh, I'd like to get uh, Eileen Bell's thoughts on this. Eileen Bell, big fan of Brigham Young. They are joining the Big 12 for the 2023 uh, season. And Eileen, the schedule was released today. That I didn't know that. Yes, there you go. I mean, I knew they were joining, but I didn't know the schedule was Yeah, there. for 20, there you have it. For 2023, uh, BYU opens up in Provo uh, September 2nd against Sam Houston State. So that's obviously not a team that uh, is in the uh, Big 12. But uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. And uh, there you have it. Eileen's got a global Thank news. You. There you go. Global news, weather, traffic update. Then you, as we open up the phone lines, this is Oilers Now.